Mach 5 Search is a slide-in, cloud-native replacement for Elasticsearch and OpenSearch that immediately saves up to 90% in operating cost. Mach 5 Search can run on top of Google BigQuery, Snowflake, and Databricks, or natively on object stores in all major clouds. Vinayak Brakar is the CEO and co-founder of Mach 5 Software, and he joins us today. This episode is hosted by Jocelyn Bernhul. Follow Jocelyn on LinkedIn or on Twitter, at Jocelyn Byrne. Hello, welcome to a Software Engineering Daily. Vinayak Borker is here with us today. Hello, Vinayak. Hi, Jocelyn. Good to be on, the, on this podcast. Well, I'm really glad to have you come talk with us a little bit. Uh, for First of all, you were super excited to talk technology when we first met, and uh, I, I definitely want to do that. But before we get there, maybe you could just give us a little introduction to uh, yourself and what you're doing at uh, Mach 5. Yeah, happy to. Um, yeah, so um, I founded Mach 5 in uh, 2021. It's about two years old now. Uh, we're working on solving uh, uh, essentially uh, uh, problems in the data management space that uh, happen to intersect with uh, search. Um, I've been in the data management space for about 20 years now. And uh, I have seen uh, the ways you know people struggle with dealing with data. Uh, the last ten years, I spent building search solutions specifically for machine data management. Um, and what I saw, I mean, my previous company was called X15 Software. Uh, we built a, a scalable solution from the ground up specifically to deal with log data. Uh, we found that a lot of security customers. Uh, used our solution to provide security features to uh, to their customers. And uh, eventually, X15 got acquired by uh, FireEye. So I spent about three years at FireEye learning more about security. And the more I saw how people built solutions on uh, the existing uh, data management stacks, uh, it kind of showed me where the gaps were, if you will, specifically around uh, search solutions and being able to consolidate data that uh, the, that arrives from multiple sources uh, so that one doesn't end up with silos of data, right? So that's mm -hmm. really what my focus is with Mark 5. We are basically uh, building a, uh, search, a search product that allows uh, users to, to consolidate their silos, but at the same time save uh, in terms of cost and modernize their uh, solution by essentially moving to the cloud in a cloud native manner. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this. So you're talking about um, an enterprise environment, right? You're talking about search over an enterprise environment that may have different silos. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I want to unpack the problem statement because it's no joke. Yeah. Um, the the silos you're talking about are different lines of business. Sometimes they have, um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, what do you, what do you think is the main problem? Why can't we just search across all the lines of business today? Yeah. So again, you know, the, the, uh, there are, uh, multiple reasons why we ended up where we are in terms of, uh, uh multiple systems for managing data. Uh, what we have seen is, you know, usually it is the same piece of data 
that requires different types of querying capabilities, right? So traditionally, there have been relational database systems which have been great at business analytics where you can run SQL queries, but the the uh, the what you need to do is structure your data in a form that the relational database can actually use it. Uh, and then there's a lot of work that goes into optimizing the data representation so that uh, your SQL database can perform well, right? But it works great as long as your data is structured and you can express your queries in SQL. Uh, traditionally, search has never been part of the SQL ecosystem, right? Search has always kind of been outside of it. And so over the last 10 or 15 years, there have been uh, search solutions that have been built specifically for being able to deal with uh, data uh, even without having to structure it. So, I mean, go back to how Google searches the web. Uh, when, in, you know, when Google first launched, uh, they, you know, it just uh, took all the, they, they just took all the text, indexed it, and provided search without actually understanding what is behind that text, right? Um, nobody uh-huh. sat down structuring the web. So it's the same kind of strategy that's used for data, especially when the data is fundamentally unstructured or semi-structured. Where does this data come from? I mean, web pages are one, of course, but in the enterprise setting, logs have kind of the same um, um, characteristic, if you will. They are uh, produced by, you know, applications. Every application's log is very different. There's no specification around these logs. So fundamentally, if you kind of look at logs in the aggregate, uh, it appears like unstructured or semi-structured. Sure. Oh, so I was just going to say, um, so the you know, the most effective way to get value out of your logs usually tends to be uh, to index it in a search solution and get data, right? But it's a, to, to get results. Uh, now, one of the challenges is while search is a great way to kind of get your feet wet and get started with logs, very quickly the problems kind of escalate to, um, you know, starting to ask questions like, okay, how frequently do I see this IP address? Or uh, when was the first time I saw this IP address? So it starts looking more and more like what SQL databases are great at, right? However, Mm -hmm, search mm -hmm. solutions are completely different beasts kind of that have been built from the ground up. And so now if I want to do, bring this different workload of being able to do more structured queries on the same data, I am forced to take the same data and load it into a different database just because uh, search solutions don't have the same capabilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So this is really how we end up with silos. So let's go back to the business problem here. Can you give some examples of, like, I, I guess, let me, let me see if I understand what you're saying, because... Uh, Let's say I have like a boatload of just unstructured transcripts of customer call data, right? Uh, and it's just kind of keeps on streaming in all the time. And if I wanted to search that yeah. data, uh, let's say I'd have to take and put it in Snowflake or put some, you know, time frame into Snowflake and then search it there. Is that that that's the problem statement? That's what you're trying to solve. Well, so when we say search, right, search is kind of, uh, let me be more concrete about what search means. Um, yeah. You know, specifically, it's keyword-based searches, right? Like I'm looking for uh, something that says, you know, uh, let's say your customer service data. I'm, I'm looking for a module that people are complaining about, let's say, right? And again, customer service data is interesting because there are different personas that can derive value out of customer logs, right? So for example, 
the person who is interacting with customers, the customer success person, uh, probably is looking at it from the view of, oh, I need to find uh, the the specific, let's say, you know, the specific workload is mm, uh, this person is interacting with a customer and the customer says, hey, I, I'm having a problem with the module uh, uh, that, that, that does the UI. Um, and so the customer service person probably wants to look at are there other complaints in the same space? So what would they do? They would take some of the keywords that represent that module and perhaps search in the other issues that other perhaps other customer service uh, representatives mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. seen, right? So this is a classic unstructured problem because you cannot really pose the question as uh, you know something more concrete. It is literally I'm taking keywords from what I'm hearing from one customer and looking in my database or my my knowledge base to find other complaints, right? So this is one mm -hmm. persona. Uh, this is the classic search problem. Like I'm looking for other things based on keywords. Then there is another persona. There is, a, imagine a product manager who's looking at a, a historic uh, view of complaints that they've received or, or comments they've received from customers. And uh, they want to take kind of a longer term view and ask the question, okay, what is the next set of features we should be working on uh, so that we can perhaps reduce the number of customer complaints or or make customers' uh, lives easier, right? So this turns it into, it's not a structure, it's not a search problem anymore. Like you're not trying to find a needle in a haystack, but what you're trying to do is looking for trends, mm -hmm. right? So this is the dichotomy I was talking about. So there are the needle in the haystack type problems on the same data as a trend analysis on the same data, right? Unfortunately, the state of the universe today with the with data forces us to use different systems to to analyze the the same data in different ways. So, what system today would I? So, you've got one thing you're looking for, or you're looking for a pattern, right? right. What, describe for me without without your offering, right? Of what system? What system? What system do people use for the one thing, and what system do people use for the pattern? Right. And talk about the problem of time. Absolutely. Please. Uh, so, so fundamentally, if I'm doing search, I would use a search-based product. So, I mean, there are a whole bunch of products uh, available today. Uh, the most popular one in the last, you know, 10, 12 years has been uh, Elasticsearch, um, which is, you know, it's a popular open source product. Uh, and a lot of people have deployed this for specifically this use case, which is taking uh, unstructured data or, uh, you know, semi-structured data, if you will, and uh, looking for needles and haystacks. Uh, now, over time, Elasticsearch has added functionality for being able to do a little more uh, aggregation and things like that. The challenge, however, is fundamentally the architecture comes in the way of being able to do extremely long-term analysis, right? Uh, it, um, as, as the amount of data grows in the system, uh, one of two things happen. One is either, you know, the the the, the system grows so large that it is hard to manage the system or it gets expensive to manage that, right? On the other hand, um, structuring that data and putting it into a relational database, uh, relational databases have shown to scale much larger, like into it, it for, you know, over much larger sizes of data. And also you can um, express the queries in a way more uh, precise manner uh, to to identify exactly the types of trends you're looking for and the and the richness with which you can express what would you mean by a trend, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. SQL, you know, is a is a is a, is a, is a, is a has a really long legacy 
it's been you know built, uh, SQL has been built over a long period of time. People have understood these business analytics problems. And Elasticsearch uses DSL, just people who aren't exactly. familiar, right? It doesn't. Yeah, right, it has exactly. its own. Elasticsearch thing. doesn't do SQL in some universes. That's considered a strength. If you don't know SQL, it's great because it lets you get in without having to learn a new language. Which again, is, SQL is a pretty complex language, right? Um, so there are lots of domains I have interacted. Uh, I've interacted with people in multiple domains where uh, not not uh, they, they don't know SQL. Right, so Elasticsearch is great for those kinds of uh, personas, uh, but at the same time, Elasticsearch doesn't do SQL. So if you want to do more precise queries, you you literally need a different system, mm -hmm. right? But this is what you would do: right. you would basically take that data, put it into Elasticsearch, and put it into another system like Snowflake. So for these two problem statements, like if looking for one thing, looking for a pattern, we know Elasticsearch has uh, architectural limitations, mostly having to do with like memory allocation. It gets expensive. It either gets too big, too slow, or too expensive are your choices, right, for very large data. And that's a problem for both the like right now problem as well as the pattern. Um, the SQL, not having SQL, big problem in enterprise, right? Because I know there is a little bit of snobbery around SQL, but the reality is most people use SQL. Like most data analysts still use SQL. Um, and uh, I agree. I, I think it's very powerful if you know what you're doing with SQL. Um, then I would say, is there, um, there's also like a data consistency question right. yeah. in Elasticsearch. And I feel like that affects the pattern matching. Yeah. So the data consistency, I mean, when, you know, this is kind of an age old problem, right? The moment you make a copy of something and the human has to manage these two copies, they're usually going to go out of sync. Right, so you have a data fundamentally by making the copy in two different systems, you have potentially run into a data consistency, right? And this mm -hmm. is a, a different reason why silos, or rather, this copying of data into multiple systems, is a bad idea, right? Um, but however, the, the and everybody does it exactly, right? And at least so, my view is there are multiple reasons why people do it, and at least one of the reasons is because they want to bring different workloads to the same data, but there's no single system that's capable of being able to do that. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's one type of data consistency problem. The other is uh, uh, just because the data representation, because the structuring and the, the the data that is indexed in these two systems, there is no single source of truth anymore. Uh, that causes yet another uh, data consistency problem, right? It's literally mm -hmm. that, that single source of truth that doesn't exist for a lot of these use cases. And so you might find your needle in the haystack, but now if you pivot over to this other system, you may or may not find any trace of it because these two different these two systems might have different. Uh, I mean, the reality is, you know, each system is potentially managed by a different set of uh, people within even within the same company, and so you end up with uh, situations where the retention for one is different than the retention for the other because each one is trying to optimize their budget, if you will, right? And each system. Mm -hmm. Uh, different amount of money, so uh, so th these are the reasons why you end up with data inconsistencies, which again can lead to you know you're you're taking on more risk, which you perhaps cannot quantify to your business um, because of inconsistencies. Okay, so what we're saying is an enterprise, you've got a lot of different pockets of search in all these different places, and that search can be for different reasons. Right now, finding one thing over time, looking at patterns. Um, and Elasticsearch has a lot of limit. You, you might, your go-to might be Elasticsearch here you, uh, to sort of try and fit that over all of these different um, silos. Um, but there's limitations. 
And so this is what, yeah, go ahead. You're, you're working on, like, let's get started up. Yeah, I was going to say, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm just saying, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying Elasticsearch is a bad product. It's actually an awesome product, right? I mean, it's kind right. of uh, the testament is, I mean, it's in the last 10 years. I mean, it, it has kind of uh, gone through the roof in terms of how it's used. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the problems with Elasticsearch stem from the fact that, you know, it, it, I mean, it was built at a time when the cloud wasn't really a thing. Uh, and so, you know, it's built on an architecture that made sense when you were deploying uh, nodes on an, you know, in a, in a, in a data center, okay, you managed each node separately, right? Uh, yeah. So, so really, a lot of the problems stem from that, and they are fundamentally architectural. They are not, uh, you know, something that you can, you cannot retrofit um, the declustering or rather the the cloud native uh, implementation on top of a product that was fundamentally not designed for that, right? So the problems stem from that. Um, but otherwise, I think Elasticsearch is an awesome product. We like the fact that, um, you know, that, that it provided an alternative at a time when the only choice was, oh, I have to use MySQL, right? That's where we came from, MySQL, Postgres. Those were the two choices. And if you wanted to put any data anywhere else, like you wanted to do search, you were out of luck. Elasticsearch gave people an option. So it was a great, it's, it's a great product. I'm glad you brought up architecture because that's the next thing I want right. to talk a little bit about. So um, in the current world, right, each of the, you might have a really mixed, whole mixed architecture, right, of like all these different data sources. Maybe you've got some Snowflake, maybe you've got some on-prem, right. maybe two, right? You've got a whole bunch of uh, different things. Um, and um, well, those are both structured examples. Sorry, that wasn't a good example. Right. You've got a bunch of S3, right? You've got a whole bunch of like unstructured or semi-structured data, right. um, different silos. And I believe, right, what you have to do is index it, have some kind of proper metadata, perhaps put it in a catalog, and then the cat that from there you're able to search. Um, that's high level, right? Where I think today land is, where should it be in this new cloud yeah. world? Well, um, I mean, this is, uh, so let's talk about like, what, what do we mean by architectural issues, right? And uh, yeah. maybe that will help. Yes. Uh, so essentially what's happened is this, right? Over time, especially as your um, uh, use cases get larger and larger, uh, one of two things happen, right? So for example, I'll give you, you know, a lot of people are building um, multi-tenant solutions, right? So imagine you're a company building a multi-tenant product where um, the fundamental underpinning is search, right? Mm -hmm. so this happens for a lot of security companies. I mean, your example of uh, customer service management where you have a lot of uh, CSR logs going into or transcripts going into a system, right? Then you have lots of customers using your product. Not everybody is going to use uh, the product at the same time, right? So right, what right. happens, I mean, there are uh, just these cycles where, you know, it's daytime somewhere, it's not daytime somewhere else, right? And so on and so forth. Uh, and at the same time, uh, so so in other words, when you when you provision a, a backend, which is static in terms of the mm -hmm. set of nodes and so on, you got to provision for the people. Is that concurrency, right? Uh, exactly. Because in the worst yeah. case, you might have lots of customers showing up, but then what are you doing all the time when that is not the case, right? You just have these mm -hmm. machines kind of running uh, uh running um and you know just and you're paying for it you're still paying for it right yeah so this is the christmas is the, the christmas time or holiday time is always the classic example for retail data super spiky precisely right so you got yeah. to, so the the traditionally systems have i mean were not built these large scale systems were not built to track the spikes right 
So you ended up kind of provisioning for some kind of average, depending on what your budget allowed. But a lot of times, either you know, when the when the traffic shows up, people are unhappy because they're not getting service fast enough. Or and uh, uh, on the other side, you know, when there's no traffic, your systems are doing nothing, and you're just paying uh, the penalty for that, right? So you kind of you you don't yeah, it's it's bad on both sides. Now, the the whole move towards the cloud has been essentially an exercise in trying to figure out how do we make systems more elastic in nature, right? How can they grow with demand and shrink when there is no demand, right? Um, and there are two parts to any any data architecture, right? So one is there is the storage component and there is the compute component. And, um, you know, like the, the there's a saying that says data on a disk is as elastic as a brick wall, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So essentially trying to uh, so as your demand comes in uh trying to expand the, your io capacity to get um, you know to, to 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 make more replicas so that you can service takes a long time on the other hand you know spawning compute or not spawning compute is very quick right so it's uh, so traditionally when people build these uh, nodes which have compute and storage together I mean, think of it literally like you have a Lamborghini, which can like really, you know, go fast. And then you have the store, which is like a massive tank, right? You're essentially saying my unit of deployment is a Lamborghini towing a tank. So you're going to be as slow as the tank in order to scale or shrink, right? So the whole move towards the cloud has been, can we have the tanks kind of handled separately and the Lamborghinis handled separately, right? So you can, mm-hmm. you you handle these two separately. And so this is the classic, I mean, a bunch of, uh, the, the, the new generation of data warehouses have been going uh, down this path, which is... This is Snowflake is kind of famously the separating compute and storage exactly no, separating compute and storage data uh, uh, bricks has the same kind of strategy of uh, separating compute and storage and so does google bigquery um so the this has been the direction and this has shown great promise in terms of being able to manage costs and track resources by demand rather than having some fixed allocation at all times so let's talk a little bit about what you, I, I have some questions. I want to come back to that sure. because I know there's um there's some subtlety, right? Around managing, trying to get this um, scaling factor going faster. There's the cold start problem, right, right. query optimization. And some, I'm sure we're going to end up talking a little bit about that. Um, but why don't we just kind of go back? I feel like we haven't talked about exactly what Mach 5 is. Mm-hmm. So what is it and how are you addressing some of these concerns yeah, technically? Absolutely. Uh Mark 5 again, you know, was built with uh, because of three three things coming together, right? One observation was uh, when you look at uh, the data warehouses of today and the data lakes of today, uh, they are no longer just SQL systems of the past where you had to structure your data before you could query it. Uh, they have native support for for JSON. Uh, in, in fact, some of them have been adding full text search. Uh, as a as a as native capability, uh, so you um, so so data warehouses have been have be, have been becoming uh, two things. One is cloud more cloud native and are capable of doing more than just uh, SQL, um, SQL processing, right? Or rather, what you would call structured mm-hmm. SQL processing. Um, that's one. The second is the observation that uh, 
you know, in the last 10 years, uh, products like Elasticsearch have gained a lot of momentum and people have deployed solutions to use Elasticsearch uh, as part of their uh, offering, if you share. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third is that the costs of uh, of deploying Elasticsearch, as I mentioned earlier, and the cost of, I mean, when I say cost, it's not just infrastructure cost or the licensing cost or the, um, you know, it's, it's also the overall management cost involved in managing a system with this kind of architecture, right? Um, mm-hmm. It fundamentally requires a team to manage uh, things like this. So, so right. these three things coming together led us to kind of build Mark 5. So what Mark 5 does is it says, okay, can we build a better uh, Elasticsearch or OpenSearch where, you know, we meet the users where they are with Elasticsearch or OpenSearch, right? So they do not have to rewrite their application to realize this new future of uh, compute and storage separation or all the benefits that I'm talking about in terms of new architectures and just more adopting more cloud-native thinking. And so what we have done is basically built a Mark 5 search, which is a 100% elastic API compatible, if you will, or open search mm-hmm. API compatible. Uh, so if you have an application built on top of elastic search or, uh, or open search, you can essentially just change the URL to point at Mark 5 and it should not uh, see the difference, right? So this does two things. One is, you know, a lot of times I've seen companies, they you know, it's kind of counterproductive for them to go re-architect the solutions just to realize cost benefits. So they end up kind of not doing that and spend a lot of uh, both money and like, you know, it's like a reduction in velocity, if you will, in their development, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those um, problems. So we want to kind of help customers not have to think about re-architecture, if you will, um, by, by, by meeting them where they are with their existing Elasticsearch stack. That's one. Uh, the second thing that we do is we're trying to also reduce the risk of making such a transition, right? So usually these the, the, the uh, type of offerings that uh, face the problem with respect to cost and complexity are usually the large deployments, right? The last thing they want is the uh, risk that comes along with having to adopt a new solution uh, that that claims to be better than their existing one, right? Um, and so one of the things, like we are very focused on trying to understand what risk means for such organizations and how do we uh, counter that. So we've done a few different things. So as I said, 100% API compatibility is one thing, right? So we want to make sure that you replace Mark, uh, Elasticsearch or OpenSearch with Mark 5 and you'll get exactly the same results, right? The second thing we focus on is how can you incrementally uh, move from your existing solution to Mark 5, right? So there are multiple aspects to that. One is what happens to that boatload of data that I have indexed in Elasticsearch or how do I migrate that to a new system, right? So we make that migration seamless. That's one. Uh, The second thing is there are certain pieces of functionality and this is one other thing we are actually seeing with a a customer right now. Um, So in their specific deployment, uh, so Elasticsearch or OpenSearch, I mean, this is a detail of the product, but there is something called cross-cluster search. So mm-hmm. usually what happens is, as I said, there are silos of data. So one of the features that is natively built inside Elasticsearch and OpenSearch is this being able to uh, have one Elasticsearch 
or open search coordinator node uh, or coordinator mm-hmm. cluster be able to talk to a uh, multiple remote uh mm-hmm. search clusters and kind of give you the view of being able to query that entire constellation to one place right so it mm-hmm. gives you this ability to to query multiple silos of Elasticsearch or OpenSearch. And stitch uh, together in correct. one view or one output. Correct. And a lot of large customers kind of have this kind of deployment just because each of those Elasticsearch clusters are handled by a different org and so on and so forth. Now, one of the side effects of this is, you know, if if, uh, if you go to one of these organizations and tell them, hey, I have a better solution, maybe you should use us. Um, the first question is, wait a minute. I mean, you know, I cannot go around change my entire universe of uh, of deployments to say you know rip and replace and replace it with Mark five right so one of the mm-hmm. things that we've done is built uh, cross clusters like we basically look like Elasticsearch or open search to such an extent that um, we can participate in this cross cluster uh, search universe right so let's say I have you know ten deployments of Elasticsearch but really only one of them is this you know uses has a large amount of data and the others are fairly small or you know the the, the users are fairly happy with what they have. Then you you know map five search can be you know you can incrementally replace that one deployment which is problematic. Okay. Map five. Let me let me back up a little bit here then. So um, the idea is that Mach five is an enabler, or it's a replacement for Elasticsearch. It's it's a replacement for Elasticsearch, right? But in but it works in partnership with this. Um, with open search, with other right? other instances of Elasticsearch and uh, open search, that's right. Okay, so it can kind of weave itself in exactly. <laughs> to your existing Elasticsearch. Yes. Or if you want to like really rip and replace, you've got open search, which um, I'm not as familiar with it as I should be, but it's comparable to Elasticsearch. Yeah. So is that uh, right? yeah, there is some history there. So what happened is Elasticsearch up until version seven dot ten was uh, fully open source. Um, under the Apache license, and uh, at seven dot eleven onwards, they switched the license to be proprietary. Um, uh, okay. Okay. I get you. And so AWS uh, forked the seven dot ten version of Elasticsearch and rebranded it as OpenSearch. And now gotcha. they have. I mean, OpenSearch is a fully open source Apache compatible. Um, okay. Uh, license. So I've got Elasticsearch or I've got OpenSearch uh, and um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use Mach 5. I would say there's two questions that you've, you've, you've answered one, which is like, is how do you make it less painful? Switch? Yeah. But the first question really is, it's got to be so much better, right? You, the two things that always yes. happen in these situations is you've got to yeah. show like, hey, I'm so much better than yes. other offering. Right. And then you, then they're like, well, I agree, it's great, but yes. it's going to cause me a lot of pain to get over to you. Right. So you're kind of answering that second part of the question. Right. Help me understand why customers are like, yes, your yeah. thing is what I want. Yeah. Bunch of reasons. So the thing we kind of talk most about is, uh, you know, from a cost standpoint, um, Mark Five uh, is costs you either like ninety percent lower in terms of costs, right? So in other words, it will cost you a tenth of the price that you would pay for deploying either an open search or an elastic uh, search plus. Yeah. I'm going to come back to it. Give me the list of awesome stuff and then we'll come back to it. Sure, sure. That's that's one. The other is uh, a moment ago I mentioned um, that one of the problems with the existing products is tracking trends, tracking uh, spikes mm-hmm. and uh, valleys, if you will, in consumption, right? Uh, 
one of the things that Mark 5 does is it does this automatically. So users don't have to sit there and provision saying, oh, now expand my cluster or now contract my cluster, right? So this is something that's so, so the, it's completely auto-managed, right? It's, uh, it's, it uses Kubernetes uh, under the covers to automatically track uh, requests, track latency, track uh, storage capacity, and scale every part of the system independently so that it can track consumption. Uh, so users don't have to do this. So from a uh, from a fault tolerance standpoint, from an availability standpoint, uh, Mark Five is completely self managed. Okay, right. That's the second um, value prop uh, that we bring to the table. The third uh, is uh, Mark Five is available on multiple data warehouses and data lakes, right? So for example, a Mark Five can be used today on top of uh, BigQuery, on top of Snowflake, on top of uh, Databricks, right? And on top of uh, object stores. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, the, the, essentially, as a, as a consumer of this, it's not only that you have a single system to go to, you also get to decide which backend you want to pick in terms of being able to um, deploy and use uh, Mark 5 or do search against, Okay, right? So this is another way we reduce the, the need for silos because if you are already a BigQuery customer, then you would essentially bring Mark 5 on top of your existing data and now you can do search also in addition to the structured work that you're doing. You don't have to take mm-hmm. the data out of the system and go index it in a separate system just so you can do search. And same thing applies for Snowflake and uh, in the uh, same, same to for Databricks. I want to come back to that. So those are the big three. Anything yep. else? No. That's... Okay, those are big. Don't get me wrong. Those are big. Um, so let's kind of start with, I want to talk, I'm going to start with the last thing you said and kind of work my way back. Um, so the example you're giving here is say, let's say um, I, have, uh, I have a lot of uh, auto loans. Right. And I've got one group uh, that's just pulling all this auto loan data into big into BigQuery, just gobbling it all up. Right. You know? And uh, that's a place where I could look things up if I right. one thing. Um, then I've got a bunch of data scientists who are pulling data in, into who are also collecting right. auto finance data. Um, I guess my question is, you know, how the, they might have different uh, schemas, they might have different uh, kind of data definitions. Um, would I have to resolve that in Elasticsearch and then replace it with Mach 5? Or does Mach 5 help me figure out, you know, it sounds great to be able to search across data stores, but in reality, it can be tricky. Right. So, okay, a few different things here, right? So your alternative would have been to suck that data out of this data warehouse and index it in a different system, let's say Elasticsearch or OpenSearch. Uh, and mm-hmm. at that point, kind of, you're essentially setting up an ETL pipeline that uh, that does this. Um, and that's where I'd rationalize all the data types and normalize exactly, it, right? right? Now, the the nice part about uh, these modern data warehouses is they have uh, full text indexing uh, as a native um, you know, capability. Product, capability in these platforms, right? So BigQuery added um, a, 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 a ability to do search. The Snowflake just released uh, what they call search optimization, uh, which allows mm-hmm. you to do um, lookups against uh, the data, not just for equality lookups, but also oh, substrings okay. and so on and so forth, right? And yeah. uh, the, the the idea here is every Elasticsearch query, this is this is where Mark 5 comes into the picture. What we have done is we built the technology needed 
to take Elasticsearch DSL and turn it into SQL against your existing table. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's that's a, that's a big difference. Exactly. Right. So this is really so, and and uh, you know, Elasticsearch DSL is very different from SQL, and in fact, in terms of capabilities, and I would say sometimes it is more capable than what a single statement, single SQL statement can do. So we've actually, so this is the technology we've built, which is being able to take uh, the DSL and turn it into efficient SQL that is, you know, again, and we custom built the SQL for every data warehouse separately, right? So we know what oh, okay. Snowflake- you have your own SQL. Exactly, we know what Snowflake is great at. So we, we build the SQL that works well with Snowflake. We know what data, um, BigQuery is good at. We take, we, when we generate SQL for BigQuery, we generate it so that it's optimized for BigQuery. Right. So, um, so from a consumption standpoint, you just use the Elasticsearch DSL as if it's Elasticsearch, but we query the data that resides in your warehouse by by bridging the gap. So, if I'm just using the um, Elasticsearch query language, and then you're translating it for me, That's you're right. calling the underlying data capability in whatever data store. That's right. How does that remain performant? Yeah. Like, what? How have you handled that? So bunch of things. So where do performance uh, issues come from, right? One is, uh, as you add more data, you need a system that scales, right? The it's got to grind through more exactly. stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the good part is, you know, that's what these data warehouses have been built for. They know how to scale on insane amounts of data, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not to interrupt you, but I just want to, the question, and maybe I'm not posing it in quite the right way, is just that, you know, there's a lot of bad SQL out there. Yes. And it's, jams up the whole system. So like, how do you deal with that? That's right. So, I mean, one of the things that cloud has enabled is, um, you know, in the past I had a fixed amount of, uh, uh, like fixed amount of infrastructure to run all my queries, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it was on-prem and I had committed to a set number of nodes. Uh, so one bad SQL will consume my resources to an extent where the other SQLs are essentially choked up. Right? Mm -hmm. But with the cloud, this is different. What happens is you essentially, like, when your queries come in, they tend to kind of scale with the queries that are coming in. So a bad SQL doesn't really come in the way of, you know, other... I like what you're saying. I think what I would say is no worse than today then, because uh, it's still costly. You, there's still a cost attached. Okay, but you're right. It won't slow you down. It won't but slow it you down. It still cost you. But if you had bad SQL before your thing, right. you still have bad SQL now that's driving costs. Precisely. Okay. In fact, I would go one step further. I would say if humans were to, I mean, just from the experience having built Mark 5 and done these, uh, the, the performance analysis against these systems, I can tell you uh, the chance that an average person like trying to manually convert uh, an Elasticsearch DSL into SQL will probably mm -hmm. yield worse SQL. Yeah, I buy that. Right? Yeah, I buy that. Um, the other yeah. thing we do is it's not always that, right? So we also have mechanisms for augmenting uh, your existing table with additional fields, right? Which store data in slightly different ways, which accelerate specific search queries, right? Okay. Which these data warehouses perhaps cannot handle. So, so what Mark Five does is it kind of gives you this view of Elasticsearch DSL, not just from a capability standpoint, but also a performance standpoint. So, you know, with one of the things people expect from a search solution is snappy results. All right. So that's another thing that we keep focusing on, which is how do we make the results extremely fast with, mm -hmm. with Mark 5 against your data warehouse, right? Okay. 
So working backwards from your big three. Yeah. The third big one like that was, hey, you can fit this over direct. You can fit it directly over all these data stores and run search. Um, the next, the, going back to the, the second thing you mentioned is this idea of tracking an architecture that allows you to track trends. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that because you kind of had two ideas in there, right? Which is a little bit around pat, like looking for patterns in the history, which is a time problem. And then you said some other stuff that I didn't quite get. <laughs> around latency. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the uh, patterns, right? So as I said, um, you know, so if you if you think about all all these cloud native data data warehouses, uh, they've been built for analytics from the ground up. So they for them time is an important factor, and they already kind of implement partitioning by time, for example, mm -hmm. right? So so. Traditionally, what happens is, um, you know, what I've seen with a lot of security products is um, because uh, the, the product needs to offer full text search, they would keep like the front end front of the of the data, like let's say the last 30 days of data in, in a search solution, right? Elasticsearch or OpenSearch. But historical data is also important. So they end up kind of loading that same data into a data warehouse where they can do historical analysis, mm -hmm. right? Now, mm -hmm. one of the ways we achieve, like we, our, our whole point is you don't need these two systems, right? We essentially bring those two down to just having one system, which is your data warehouse, right? And now your Elasticsearch API or the OpenSearch API can basically query the same database. The reason we are able to kind of get you the same performance as before is because we natively uh, use the native capability of partitioning that these data cloud, the data warehouses are. Yeah. So if you essentially say, I want to search over the only the last 30 days, there's no reason to touch the, you know, 13 months or the five years of data that I have. So let me just see if I understand this correctly. So, um, you know, today, what will end up happening is we'll keep the precious data kind of local. And then historical data gets shipped out, right, on a, some regular basis for historical and analytics. Um, this is typically done for performance and cost reasons. Performance right? and cost reasons, um, exactly. But in the cloud world, if I have a cloud native data store, um, I, I don't have this problem anymore, right? Because I just have an undifferentiated pile of data on across these partitions that's as costly or is saving me money whatever way. And so as a result of that, um, when I have it all in one place, Mach 5 can search it all in one place. How is that different from, couldn't, why can't Elasticsearch do that, or can it? Uh, well, Elasticsearch is a full-stack solution built from the ground up, so it has its own storage. So Elasticsearch can query data as long as you put it into its storage. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, but I guess my question is, um, yeah, that was that was a little bit of a misstep. I guess I'm trying to say, is that are you telling me about um, a capability that's cloud native or a capability that's special to Mach Five? That's what I'm trying to. Understand. Yeah, I think it's leveraging the capabilities that are offered by the data warehouse, right? So we're just okay. using so making the most of the architecture. Exactly, using the strengths yeah. of the of what the data warehouse gives us. The the trade off you have today is data warehouses are great to to kind of have this like a large amount of data, like historical data, all sitting there in a in a much cheaper medium. The challenge, yeah. however, yeah. is they don't have the same APIs, right? So as an application, I now have to either have this two-headed monster. Heavier lift, heavier or lift. Or I have to re-architect my product to use the data warehouse. Right, okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, 
let's go get a big, the heavy hitter, which is the first thing you started with, yeah. which is a 98% less cost. I really want to unpack why that is. Yeah. Um, few different reasons again. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me how technically you want to get, but here is... As much as you want. Okay. I'll, I'll raise my hand when I get underwater. Awesome. No problem. So here is how it happens, right? So let's start with just deploying these nodes. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know, you have, so when you bring data in, you got to provision for a bunch of different operations that happen in a search product, right? So first is mm -hmm. being able to ingest the data at the rate at which it arrives, okay? Now, even mm -hmm. that usually is not steady, it's bursty. Right? Data arrives at some point, right? So, so you have provisioned your system to be able to handle the burst of data so you don't, you don't lose it. That's one, right? That's ingestion. The second is being able to index that data. So whatever data arrives has to be indexed, right? Now, usually what happens is because your um, the uh, nodes can fail in, in in any setting, right? In your data center. At all, any time. And, and usually when we say nodes fail, 95% uh, of the time or 99% of the time, it's the drive that has integrity errors. It's the disk that fails. It's not the compute that fails, right? Um, so so what one ends up doing is replicating. So if you look at how Elasticsearch or OpenSearch is deployed, is you end up with like two or three replicas of the data. So now the same data that comes in is indexed and stored in three copies in your cluster, just so that if you lose a single node, you still have access to the data that came in. Right, so you just multiplied your compute and storage by three x. Right, that's one for ingestion. The second part of it is uh, all the the technology that is used by Elasticsearch or OpenSearch is based on uh, uh, a certain way of managing data. Um, it's called log structured merge or LSM. Uh, it is the you know essentially they the the, the way in in chart the way it works is as new data arrives. Uh, the system builds tiny indexes with the, with whatever data arrived in the buffer. And then, you know, over time, you end up with lots of tiny indexes. Now, search when a search result come, search query comes in, you essentially search every of those indexes and merge the results from that. The problem with this approach is very soon, the number of these tiny indexes grow and it starts becoming slower. So there is a separate process that is usually run called reorg or reorganization or merge, right? Mm -hmm. What that does is it takes a bunch of tiny indexes that were written and merges it into a larger index, right? So this is a background process that's constantly happening. And you essentially create, take 10 of these tiny indexes, create a, an index that is 10 times larger, right? And mm -hmm. again, the, 10, the index that is 10 times larger may also not be large enough, especially as your amount of data grows. So you take 10 of those larger indexes, merge them into to create what effectively now is a 100x larger index, right? So you're constantly reading and writing this data to reorg and merge the indexes, right? So now you have to provision your compute and storage capacity for being able to do this background process. And it's usually mm -hmm. proportional to the amount of data that is coming in through ingestion, right? So this is the second process. So you've got ingest, you got ingest, and you've ingest got index, index merging business. Merge and reorg, right? And mm -hmm. finally, the thing why it exists, being able to query, right? 
That's that's what the thing you, the thing you wanted to do in the first place. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so all this is just making of the sausage. Now you're actually getting to the meat of okay, now I built all this because I want to be able to query it. So now you have to provision for your queries. And again, as I mentioned, queries can be large or small. And lots of people might show up simultaneously or not. So essentially very bursty traffic. Right? So now put these three bursty things together and now you have a cluster that's uh that set circuit. Now, the thing is, the, the 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 observation here is these three things have completely different phases in terms of when they need to be scaled, right? And what it means to scale each of these. So, what we have done at Mark Five is essentially built this entire process from the ground up. We the the indexing strategy, the way the index is represented, the um the way merges and reorgs happen in such a way that each of these parts can be scaled independently of each other. So for example, if I'm getting a lot of data, but I'm not getting any queries, just take that example, then I can essentially just scale the ingestion part for the duration at which I have bursty traffic for ingestion. Similarly, when I need to reorganize, reorganize my data, I can launch that. And again, that's one of those things where it's the system decides when it's a good time to do it, right? So mm -hmm. again, gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to scale that when needed, right? Also, because we are in the cloud, we can launch these nodes just in time and they're not nodes that are just sitting around, right? And on top of that, kind of being able to use like spot instances that uh, cloud providers provide, uh, give you, um, you get essentially a 10x improvement mm. on even that, right? So, so there are a whole bunch of, like, if you deconstruct what happens inside these systems and kind of take the uh, first principles approach to, to building the system from the ground up, there's a whole bunch of opportunity to, to get massive, massive, massive cost reductions. All right. I love what you're saying. At first I was like, okay, um, you know, a lot of people were like, hey, I'm going to use the cloud. Good. Great. Uh, but, you know, one of the, it, for myself as well, you know, coming out of like years of software, it's interesting truly thinking in a cloud native fashion right. really turns so many of our assumptions yes. on their side. Exactly. And that's really, mm -hmm. it's a place of real opportunity. I find myself getting kind of hosed up in that thought process every once in a while. Uh, but this is really, I think what you've done. And I love that you said about the first principles, right? You've taken this new paradigm and you've really forced yourself to think, okay, how is time working uh, in this environment? Different from the linear time, which we mostly spend, yeah. we, we've spent all of us, all of our time thinking about. Yeah. Lift and shift is not the answer. Right, and that's pretty much what people do when they deploy open search and elastic search essentially today on the cluster. Mm -hmm. or on, in mm -hmm. the... Okay, interesting. So by kind of orchestrating and turning the knobs on these different activities, you're able to get a much yep. more efficient. Yep, and, and also a redesign expensive. of the index. I mean, the index has been designed from the ground up to be able to be very selective mm -hmm. about what participates in a query. So you don't end up with, oh, I need to keep the entire index in memory. I know you're always, you said like how technical you want to be. We're going over a little bit, but I just, do you have time to talk a little bit yes, more? I uh, because I wanted to ask you, um, this is like one of those vulnerable questions. I have to say, I've worked in tech and data for a long time. And I, how should I think about what you just said? You have a different approach to indexing. I've heard so many people say that, like, what, how should you think about indexing? What are, what's a good index or, a, you know, how are you thinking about it that's different from others? Well, I mean, you know, the, okay, so again, you know, if you think about Elasticsearch and OpenSearch, I mean, both of them are based on uh, um, the the library called Lucene, uh, which 
again, I, if I'm not wrong, I think it was, it has its origins in 2002, 2003 timeframe. And over time, of course, you know, it has evolved and Lucene is an awesome library. Like I mm-hmm. learned a lot about full text indexing from Lucene, right? So um, it was the first uh, open source library out there that was industrial strength. And, uh, you know, kind of, I think it is, I don't, I don't know anything else that is better than that. Uh, it was a revolution. It was, it was a revolution. Uh, I am dating myself, but it, you had to build everything yourself before that. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. And it was all bespoke and so on. So over time, Lucene has done lots of good stuff in terms of indexing. Right. Um, but still the concern, the problem is that it has always been this thinking of, uh, my compute and storage is attached, right? Also, the, you kind of think of it in this, I'm sitting in a box of, you know, where my computer is, my memory and my storage is, and my index yes. lives there, right? If you think outside that box, I mean, I don't, you know, it's cliche, but I... if you think outside <laughs> of that box. I get it. That wasn't planned. I get it. You can do amazing things. You can. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Right. Go, go ahead. You can do amazing things. You can do like amazing what? things. And again, even within the index, index is not like a monolithic thing. There are lots of little parts in an index. Right? There's an inverted index. There's scoring. There is a whole bunch of things that go into kind of the data structures that make up an index. Uh, hmm. And so again, if you were willing to deconstruct that and try to figure out what, um, you know, how queries impact various parts of the index, kind of have a very different view on what needs to be where, right? What can be in long-term storage? What can be in short-term storage? What can be in memory at any given point in time? So again, you get a lot of... So as you move to long-term storage, like keeping something in S3 costs you like two cents per GB per month, right? Putting something in memory, extremely expensive, right? But at the same time, the latencies are reversed. So you could take a very, you know, blunt, answer to this thing, which is take everything and put it into memory. That's going to cost you a fortune, right? So what mm-hmm. we have done is try mm-hmm. to figure out basically how do we treat this uh, memory hierarchy, if you will, of memory, local disk, and, uh, you know, the data warehouse or or uh, um, object stores, if you will, right, which have longer latency sometimes. Um, how do we use that? Use the strengths of each layer, but at the same time, don't get... Uh, um, don't slow down because of the latencies. So we kind of this. Yeah. This is really how you think about redesigning that. That's amazing. I should have started there. I think that's amazing and very interesting. I'm glad you were able to explain that to us. I'll have to do another show on deconstructing index. Sure, happy to do I'm that. I'm interested in that. Um, but we're, I wanted to um, just I have a couple more questions about the product. So in terms of like, where are you in your product uh, maturity right now? Are you working with design partners or first customers or kind of like where? Let's go to the business. Let's talk about the business and implementation. Absolutely. So our first uh, product we built was on top of Google BigQuery. And we've been GA since October, and we have a, a, user, a bunch of users who are using it today in production. Okay, great. Uh, and I should have looked that up. Sorry, thank you. I should have looked that uh, up earlier. You, thank I mean, you. That's and good. Any, I mean, we, we have a community edition that we made available uh, when we went GA on BigQuery, which, uh, you know, you can go to our website and essentially just uh, get get the VM and run it in your GCP environment uh, on top of your okay. own. And we'll put that in the notes. We'll put all that in the right. notes for the show. Um, you can do that today. 
since then, we've also kind of, you know, looking at the popularity on, on BigQuery, we're basically looking at uh, other uh, data warehouses and data lakes because it looks like it the message does resonate and a lot of people seem to have this problem, uh, but not everybody is on BigQuery. So we are essentially, um, we built a product on Snowflake and on Databricks in the last, um, I would say, like few months. And now we are in beta working with uh, design partners uh, to to launch this product and get into GA, right? We are in POC uh, on both these platforms. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, so so our goal is to essentially, once we have a couple of marquee customers on each of those platforms, we want to be able to go on GA. But in the meantime, if, you know, if uh, you, any of your listeners uh, feel like, you know, they can help us shape Mark 5, we are absolutely ears uh, to take on design partners on any of these platforms. Great, great. And then just moving over, you know, we interview a lot of technical founders on the show. You've had an interesting journey. This is not your first startup, right? Right. Um, you know, what advice would you give to uh, other technical founders of what to do or not do based on your experience? Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Yes, you're right. I'll give you some, yeah, yeah, I'll give you some prompts. Like some people feel like, oh, you know, my best thing is sitting quietly and being technical, but now I just talk all day. Other people are like, oh, I have to have a killer idea. You know, there's things that are kind of blockers for a lot of technical founders. And, you know, sometimes some of our guests have some interesting things to say about that. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if I have advice for anybody, right? Because everybody's journey is unique. Uh, but uh, my general, like, for me, my strength was always like being able to multitask came naturally to me, right? So doing one thing, I'm actually more productive when I do multiple things. Um, okay. So that's one. The second is uh, also it was kind of a, a limitation of in terms of what uh, I made me happy, right? So just working on a technical problem in isolation never made me happy. I always needed to see kind of the business impact. Or, or I, should, I don't want to say business impact. I wanted to always see uh, how it made a difference to users, right? So I always sat at the cusp of being uh, of doing engineering as well as I would say product management, if you will, right? Outbound product management. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so there are very few roles that let you do that. So I think uh, as uh, you know, one of like building a startup is actually one of the ways. To, to do that. And so that's why I think I like this, this model, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, like a lot of people kind of glamorize like startup, like being a startup founder. I mean, one thing I want to remind people is, you know, when you work at a, at a company, you have a lot of support. You have people to do things. You, you know, when, when, when you need something done, there is a person to do it, right? If it's not directly within your, uh, your purview. Uh, as a as a startup founder, it's exactly the opposite. The, the, essentially, you cannot hand it off to somebody. You got to figure out pretty much like every aspect of what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I enjoy that, right? Because it kind of gives me a, 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 an overall like view of what's happening, and it kind of lets me balance the things that one should do and should not. But but the biggest I would say, you know, thing is uh, that for me personally, that has helped me is I have had the privilege of uh, being able to work with amazing teams, amazing teams, right? And uh, again, like, uh, over, over my career, like I've met people 
and along the way somehow you know they have been excited to work with me in the future and so you know i've been able to put together these teams and without the teams i can tell you i can never have uh, successfully executed in any of the any of the stuff mm-hmm. so i think uh, i i don't really have I like that. No, I like that. People first and you get on the, I want to talk more. We'll do another show about how you uh, end up being in great teams because that's a special skill. Right. Um, uh, but uh, I also really like what you're saying. I think that's right. If you find yourself with one foot in product management and one foot in like serious you know, tech, right. you might be, you might be a prospective founder of a company because there aren't a lot of, because there's not a lot of roles like that's that. Right. That's really interesting. I think that's, I'm going to think about that more. Well, what's next? Uh, I should have asked you about a, I forgot to ask you about generative AI uh, because everyone's talking about that. We'll have to come back and talk about your opinions on that. Uh, it was on my list of things, but um, I'll let you go. Um, what's next for the company? What- well, um, I think, you know, we are on this journey to kind of uh, build this product, which I hopefully, you know, we can get into more customers' hands and get this to a point where we actually realize our dream, which is, you know, make things, uh, uh, you know, more more efficient just from a resource consumption standpoint and kind of like where people need to focus their energies as they as they deploy these solutions, right? You know, it's amazing. In very large organizations, and my background is really in the financials, you know, this is a, a very sought after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, um, you know, I was saying you're finished. You've completely solved this problem, but the the endpoint, right? The ability to search across, right? You know, all these you were all they're all collecting so much data, right. but it's such a heavy lift yes. to get a unified view that you can search. That's right. Um, it's um, and if you could do it, especially in finance, right? The ability to compare right. tons of different data from different sources makes your analytics so much stronger absolutely the outcome is so much better absolutely i mean you hinted at what's the next for ai right so i think uh, you know i look at what we are building as an enabling technology for AI. um like without data ai is nothing right uh and uh, and that is one of the things and also with wrong data ai is worse than not having ai right so so i think what we are making possible is bringing all your data in one place so if you want to train models you know you have more power on your hands uh, just by virtue of making sure you have the right data in your hands and also in a timely manner, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and without the implementation left. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really great to talk with you. I definitely want you to come back on the show and tell us more uh, as you evolve Absolutely. your technology and we can we can deconstruct indexes together, um, which is perfect for this show. Uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for coming great. on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jocelyn. This was great. Thank you so much for having me.